Well, we're glad you're here this morning as we come running to our Father to seek Him, to seek Him in our lives, to allow Him to transform us. And I hope you're ready for a, a great journey, a, a great experience. Uh, and, and one of the unique things about this, it is an experience for every age of our church family from right now in our nurseries, they're talking about the same thing, our children, our students, and us, all ages, all are involved in this today, all of us really waiting to see what God's going to do. We've, we've partnered with Rick Warren and Saddleback Church to spend the next couple of months leading up to Easter to be, to seek to be, to, to submit ourselves to be transformed by the grace of God. And, and our journey here is more than just what we're doing in this hour. That's why many of you have journals. You got your journal? Yeah? Yeah? Some of you I see holding up. I know Betsy asked of it. Yeah. We, we have sold, um, I don't know, seven or 800 of these already, several hundred, and uh, we still have some left. So I, I hope you will do it. Write your name in it. Uh, today is the first day. I've already done mine, my, um, my devotional in here, day one, and they're just, they're numbered like that, and you can follow along with them uh, and, and use them. And in addition, we have some bookmarks. We did have them. The first service stole them all. So we'll have more back for y'all next week. But these bookmarks have the, um, the ver- scripture memory verses in there. And what is really cool about these is that we have some very generous people in our church who are so committed to what Christ can do in our lives that they've told us to make sure everyone gets one of these. So if, you, if, if buying one of these is a burden, after the service, go out there, give them whatever you can, and walk away with one of these journals. We want you to have it. Yeah. We want to make sure that you don't let anything stand in the way of what God wants to do. And money is not going to stand in the way of what God wants to do in your life. So please, be sure and pick that up. Um, out there, we know that uh, the several dozen were picked up after the first service, but we got, we got plenty of those. We won't run out of those. Uh, another valuable, important part of this journey are the small groups that begin meeting today all across the area. We've got uh, several dozen, over 70 groups that are meeting every day of the week, Sunday through Saturday, and in all kinds of settings and all kinds of places in people's homes. And uh, you can still sign up for that. Uh, each week, you'll gather at a host's home to watch a video by Rick Warren in your journals, a place then for notes in there and some discussion questions that the group will talk about. And this week's video talks about spiritual habits that, that help us grow spiritually. That's what Rick Warren is talking about in the video that you will see in somebody's home. And, and by the way, one of them that he mentions is serving, which is very important around here. You, you, perhaps you heard earlier mention that today is a Servanthood Sunday. It is, we, we believe servanthood, which is essentially living out the love of Christ for our neighbors. It's a matter of the heart. It's not simply an action, but it gets lived out through our serving, both informally wherever we are, but also in a very formal way in and through our church family. And so Rick says that it is one of the most important habits for growing spiritually. It's not just about you doing stuff. It's, how, it's one of the ways that God consistently works in our lives. So I want to really encourage you to, to, to be serving somewhere. And we've got today folks out in the lobby over here that are representing several ministries of our church, and they will be there to, 
to be with you, to walk you through, answer questions, to help you do whatever it is you might feel led to do, including Gateway Kids. We always have plenty of need there. There's always more and more ways that you can come alongside our kids, and this is just very important. It's what we do. And, and of course, if you haven't done it yet, please sign up for a small group. You can do it from our website, or you walk right through those center doors, and as soon as you get them, there's a table there, and they have some computers there, and they will sign you up today to be in a group. Who knows, you could sign up for a group today and show up at somebody's house this evening. The whole point of all this is to, to work intentionally through these next several weeks to open ourselves to what God wants to do, to allow Him to do His transforming work in our lives so that we experience His best. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to pause here, and for some reason, we don't have as many lights on. Can we get the, some of those lights on over the floor I think it's kind of dark for them, and I want you to take notes. There we go. There we go. I think that, that probably helps you there because I've got notes here, but also if you need to, if you just want to use a blank spot, there is a, on page two in your, your journal, you can actually uh, write sermon notes in there and keep them for the whole series, or you can take what we've provided and stick it in there or staple it in there. It'll actually pretty much fit in there and use that for, for the journey. So I uh, want to help you be sure to be able to do that. Our theme verse throughout this, this whole journey is Romans 12:2, which says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have it up here on the screen. Why don't you say that with me? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. This is critical because, you see, the way we think determines what we feel, the way we feel. And the way we feel then often determines how we act. If I want to really change something in my life, if there's, there are practices or habits or things that I do that I'm not particularly happy about, my actions do have to change. But, but the, the best way to accomplish that is, just, is instead of starting with my actions or even my feelings, is to start with my thoughts, to change the way I think then changes, begins to change the way I feel, which then issues itself out in then how I act, where it becomes second nature, something I do, versus just something I have to give a lot of thought to. So the key for me is, in order to experience transformation, is to work on how I think. The renewing of my mind, Romans 12.2 says, to align me and the values, my values, with God's values and God's purposes so that he can do what he wants to do. And, and we believe that, that this whole experience can help do that, focusing on God not only in here for an hour each Sunday, but every day in, in your, your journal and every week through your small groups. It begins to multiply the influence of what God can do to focus on him, which is, is, is the whole point. And when we do this, then God has fertile ground to work in in order to transform us. Because it takes God, guys, this is really important, it takes God to overcome failures of sin and evil and darkness that are in your life and mine. It, God has to do that. I can't ultimately fix some of those things. I have to have God in my life. And, and the problem is, the farther away we get from God, the more our lives are troubled. The more we experience problems around us. Now, again, I don't want to imply that Having God at the center of my life takes away all my problems or all my troubles. Because that's, 
that's certainly not true. In fact, it, it creates some different ones. But in the midst of all that, God is giving me a, a means by transforming my soul, my heart, my being to no longer be overwhelmed or derailed or defeated by those things in my life. When God's not at the center of my life, I am going to tend to experience more stress and more difficulties because I'm not living according to the instruction manual. If God created us, which is a fundamental belief of mine, which is what the Christian faith has always affirmed, if God has created us, he did it with a plan, with a purpose, and he tells us how to live in a way. So, I mean, if you go out and you buy something and you don't use it the way you're supposed to and you take it back and say it's not working, they say, well, did you follow the instructions? What are they going to say? You tell them no, they're going to say, well, <laughs> sorry. You know, you got to follow the instructions or it's not going to go the way you want it to. And it's most simplest form. The Bible is God's instructions for life of how you and I are called to live our lives in ways that will work best. And that doesn't always mean I get what I want right when I want it. But it means I get what I need when I need it. And that's really important. So the closer we get to God, the more our lives are transformed. And that's really the key to this whole transformed experience. We see it in, in the Bible, in the lives of people like Moses or Isaiah or the Apostle Paul. And, and, and the truth is, all of us sense that to varying degrees. I mean, you wouldn't be here otherwise if you didn't have some sense of that. I, I'm not saying you can put it into words. I'm not saying that you know for a fact that that's the case. Maybe you felt it earlier at some point in your life. It, don't feel it quite so much anymore. Maybe, maybe something happened that kind of shut you down on, on God and, and Christianity in the church. Or, or you tried shortcuts, and they generally lead to short circuits. Um, maybe the spark just isn't there anymore because you haven't worked on your faith in a while. Here's the thing. Today, today, you can restart your journey of getting spiritually healthy, of getting closer to God. We've got these uh, cool things that are art uh, icons that our arts ministry put together, and, and the first one over here is illuminating what we're talking about today, about spiritual health. And, and we, ha we find in the Bible lots of stories of, of folks getting back to God, of finding spiritual health, but this morning... We're going to look at one of the best known of all, the story told by Jesus in Luke chapter 15, what's called the prodigal son. And, and it's, it's, it's called the prodigal son, but quite honestly, the real title, I think, ought to be the loving father. Instead of focusing on what the son does, focusing, in fact, on what, on what the father does. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to, to Luke chapter 15. If you have your mobile device, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app and, go to the, and open to the live page. Um, you can use the notes that we provided for you that have the scriptures on there and places to take notes. Or, as I said before, you can go in here. Go into this, into here, and on page two today, there is a place that says Weekend Sermon Notes. And you can, you can also write there. Whatever, whatever works for you is, is good for us. So I'm going to read this whole passage starting in verse 11, going through verse 24, so we can kind of get the story in our heads so here it is. Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. But essentially what he was saying is, you're dead to me. Right? I mean, how many of us get our inheritances before 
someone dies. He's saying, you're dead to me. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. There he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. Now remember, this is a Jewish boy. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Jewish boys don't have anything to do with pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. In other words, he didn't even get the pig slop. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food and enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, here he is saying his rehearsed speech. Father, I've sinned against both heaven and earth and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We've got to celebrate with a feast for this son of mine who is dead has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Man, I think that is a great story. And if we're honest, I know for me, it's my story. I think every one of us, in one way or another, one time or another, has wandered off, to some degree anyway, from God. Maybe, maybe because we got distracted. Maybe because something didn't go, go the way we wanted it to. We got upset and we shut, shut it down. Or maybe just because something else became more important to me. And like all of us, this son wanted more. He, he wanted his inheritance now. Now, he says. And, and again, in effect, he's saying to his father, you're dead to me. You don't matter to me. Uh, all, I'm, all I care about is what's in it for me. What do I get out of this? I want my stuff, my inheritance, what's coming to me when you die. So you might as well die. I don't care. Give it to me. But you listen to the story. And he got what he wanted. He got everything he could have. But it didn't solve his problem didn't solve how he felt, did it? And, and this is a great story telling us three things we need to do when we find ourselves in that place and we need to get back to God. Maybe we're not as far off as the, as the prodigal son, but maybe we're not still where we want to be. M maybe you're not sure about the God stuff and this church thing, and that's okay. We're glad you're here. And there may be something that God says to you in the midst of this. Maybe you used to be closer and yet somehow some distance is built up and you're not sure how that happened. Maybe it's just over the last few days or weeks, whatever it may be, something seems missing. How do we get back to him? This, this is then the pathway, if you will, for spiritual transformation. And the very first step is I need to get fed up with my life the way it is. I need to get fed up with it. I have to get fed up that things aren't as good as they could be, and decide that I'm going to make some changes. Nothing is going to happen until I'm dissatisfied. 
until I say, this ain't working, until I, I, I recognize that. If everything's great in my life, if, if you're doing good and you can't point to any problems of any kind, then this, this series may not do you much good. But having said that, I, I suspect that the vast majority of us, in one way or another, are kind of sick and tired of being sick and tired. We just kind of reach the point sometimes, and we know it's not that life is bad, maybe, but surely it could be better. Surely there's something more, something I'm missing, or I don't get, or it's just not clicking. Jesus tells us uh, this younger son, he wasted all the money, and only then as he's doing the work, the lowest work any Jew could do, doing anything with pigs because they were unclean animals in the Jewish ritual structure. In, in a setting where even pig slop looked good. Have you ever seen pig slop? Have you ever looked at it? It's the nastiest stuff that is in your trash can over the last month, okay? Not just one day. Just take all the nastiest stuff and combine it, and that's pig slop. And you know, you got to be in bad shape when pig slop starts to look good. But that, that's what he said. It's starting to look good to him. And, and so it hit him. I don't want any more of this. I'm fed up with this stuff. And he comes to his senses. And that's, that's the beginning point. The question is, are you there? Could that be your place right now? And if not, that's okay. But, but God, here's the thing. If you are there and not willing to do any change, if you're dissatisfied, but you're going to keep on keeping on, you're going you're gonna to keep doing the same thing you did yesterday, today, and tomorrow, you know, um, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Uh, if that's where you're at, that's, that's okay, but here's the thing, God will let you stay there. He will. Not because he likes seeing you struggling or suffering or hurting, but because you have to ultimately decide you want to change. You have to decide something has to be different in my life. And so he'll let you go with it and let stuff pile up more. Why? Because even though God loves you just the way you are, he loves you too much to, to let you stay there, but he's not going to enable bad behaviors. And, and he doesn't want you to waste your life. But ultimately, you or I, we have to finally decide that we're ready for some change. Which means sometimes God's going to let you or me or whomever wallow in it. And maybe you've tried to save some people out of those things. And you've tried to convince them that they can do better. And, and, and you keep kind of helping them not feel all the consequences of their actions. And the, the psychological world has a word for that. It's called an enabler. That you're not allowing them to feel the full consequences of their actions, and therefore you're, you're, you're short-circuiting the, the experience, and they're going to keep on doing it because they don't hurt enough. Sometimes you and I have to hurt enough to decide to make a change. The old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. True, but you can, you can salt his oats and make him thirsty. There you go. It's, some of you will get it on the way home. 
Now, um, I, look, God's going to let you stay where you are until you start to say, I don't like this anymore. I'm dissatisfied. There's got to be more. And he can give it to you if you let him. God said it to Jeremiah, you will find me when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. If it's just one thing among many, if it's, well, I'm going to put that on my to-do list, that's number seven on the list of priorities, yeah, you won't find very much. God is saying, if I'm not first, I'm last. I'm irrelevant. Because I was never, God says, I am not meant to be anywhere but first in our lives. And until we put him first, in effect, he is the last. And, and we won't experience all that he, he can do. All that, all that satisfaction, quite honestly, is God knocking. If you feel like your life isn't what it ought to be, if you feel like things aren't going the way you want them to do, that's God talking to you, allowing you to experience that so you get so fed up with what you have that you realize you want God and you want some change and you're willing to do whatever it takes you're not going to be casual about it. You're going to trust and, and believe that the one who created us has a better plan. He knows what works, and I'm going to get fed up enough with this, and I'm going to finally, number two, own up to my sin. I'm going to own up. I'm going to admit, God, this isn't working. I thought I was smart. I thought this is what the, the, the talk show guru said. This is what that book told me to do. But I haven't been living by faith in ways that, that please you, that show that I trust you, not just love you, but I trust you. To say, I've tried it, I've tried it our culture's way. And, and our culture's way is kind of like the old Burger King commercial, have it your way. That's really kind of a mantra of our culture today. Have it your way. The, sell it to you. You deserve this. But, but as much as we try, we get some of it our way, and we want some more of it our way. We get some more of it our way, and we still can't find enough, and we keep searching, and we keep thinking. It's always the next raise. It's always the next house. It's always the next job. It's always the next relationship. And you get to the one, and you discover it's not there either. Why? Because you're chasing the wrong things. You're chasing things. You're chasing people. And when you're made to seek God, to allow him to work in you. And life gets messed up until we own up to that. The younger son came to himself and realized he had sinned. And, uh, and he realized his sin wasn't just what he had done wrong. It ultimately affected his relationship with his father and his heavenly father. Why? Because his father, he, were created by God. And sometimes we, we think, you know, my, I'm just hurting my kid or I'm hurting my friend or I'm hurting me, but God created them. God created you. If you and I are doing something that hurts one that God loves, God created, including myself, then that is hurting my relationship with God. That is sin. It's not living according to God's instructions. I don't trust him. I don't believe he's right. The Bible says in Isaiah, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he's turned away and he won't listen anymore. It's not that he doesn't love us, but he's not going to tell you bad is good. He's not going to say that's all right when it's not all right. And you and I know when we get preached at, 
we tend to shut down. God says, I'm not going to do that. You're going to have to figure it out. You're going to have to come to your senses and get fed up and own up what's going on. I'm going to let you wallow in it if that's what it takes, he says. I may be hanging on to money or a, or a particular relationship or my image in front of other people or pride or, or any number of things. And all those are things that have separated me from God. And it's not that they're bad in and of themselves. They're not. But they were never created by God to take God's place. They're things. They're the creations. They are not the creator. And he said we should have no other gods before him, besides him, to take his place. So I own up to my sins, which have separated me from God. Because here's the thing. You and I are as close to God as we choose to be. Now listen to that again. You and I, you, we're just as close to God as we choose to be. Well, my parents didn't raise me in the church. You are just as close to God as you choose to be. My, my wife won't go to church with me. You are just as close to God as you choose to be. My, my parents, they give me a hard time. You are just as close to God as you choose be. My boss is not a Christian and he doesn't like me. You are just as close to God as you choose to be. I can't blame anyone else. I can't blame my wife or my husband. I can't blame my kids or my parents. I can't blame my coworkers or my boss. I can't blame my friends or the government. It's become a national pastime. It's the government's fault. I don't care whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. It's always the government's fault. No, it's not. Not in this case. Your government has nothing to do with this. You have everything to do with it. In fact, Rick Warren says when we play this blame game, he says here's a definition uh, or a way to spell blame. Be lame. Be lame. Every time I blame someone else, I am being lame. I'm being lame. I'm putting it off on somebody else. And when I blame other people for my spiritual condition, I have to own up to my sin and not blame others. I'm the problem. As a couple were, uh, older couple were driving up in East Texas in their pickup truck. They had one of those bench seats. The husband was behind the wheel. The wife was over kind of closer to the door. They're driving along, and as they were going along, they came up behind another pickup truck. It was on one of those two-lane roads, and so they had to follow it a little way. And they noticed as they were watching, it looked like it was a pretty young couple in the truck in front of them. And, and the girl was next, right up against the boy. You know how that works? There's like, you can't find any space between them. They are, they're somehow connected at the hip and at the arm and all that kind of stuff. But as she's looking at it, as she's watching this, after they've been driving for a minute or so, she said, you know, you remember how we used to be like that? What happened? Her husband looked over and he said, well, I never moved. <laughs> Listen, God has never moved. You and I are as close to God as we want to be. Don't be lame. Don't point to somebody else. God doesn't want us to come back and, and play games with this. 
He wants us to be honest that it's not the way it needs to be. God, I confess my sins. I've done wrong. And here's the thing. When, when we admit that, God's not going to say, see, I told you. I told you you were bad. I told you you couldn't do it. I told you you were no good. No. And that's what we think sometimes. We think it's a condemning God, but that's not what the Scripture says. He's going to say, I love you. I am so, I've been waiting for you to turn to me. I am so thrilled. When, when, when I confess my sins, God doesn't rub them in. He, he rubs them out. Isaiah 118, God says, come now, let us settle this. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. God says he's better than OxyClean, you know, and getting the stains out in our lives. No matter how bad we think we are, he can clean it like it's new again. And and we just need to own up to our sins like the son did and, and not allow pride to keep us keeping him at arm's length or saying, okay, wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to straighten my act up, God, then I'm going to come. Now he says, if you try to straighten your act up, you're going to get into more bad habits. You bring the problems to me and let me teach you how to do it the right way the first time. But God won't clean what we don't bring. And maybe that might be a goal in here. That there's a place each week for us to set goals. And maybe, maybe for you the goal this week is to take some time each day to confess to God where you feel like you're coming up short in your relationship, in your journey with him. It, it says in 2 Corinthians, test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. If you fail the test, do something about it. And this is a really important step. Do something. Do something. Get fed up, own up, and then third, offer up myself. I offer up to God my, me, my, my whole being, everything about me, uses he pleases. The, the son, you know, so the son went from being arrogant and self-centered to being fed up and coming to his senses to owning up and admitting he had sinned against God and now offering up his entire life to his father to use as he sees fit. All this occurred in the span of seven verses. Verse 12, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now. Okay? That's what he said to his father, who, who in effect is playing the God role. But listen to what he says now as he's gone through this experience and come to his senses. Verse 19. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He leaves talking all about what he wants. He returns, surrendering himself to God and what God wants. Folks, that's transformation. When the heart goes from being self-centered to God-centered. And that's not an easy task because, again, the world around us encourages us to have it our own way. But to go from give me what I want to use me as you see fit, God, to surrender, say, I am yours. You got to ask yourself, am I doing that in my life today? Or am I holding part back? And this, this transformation by God certainly doesn't happen overnight. In fact, 
He's going to work on it in us the rest of our lives. But there is a moment in time, a decision point, where you and I decide, okay, I'm going to give myself to him and make him not just Savior. See, here's the problem. A lot of times, people who call themselves followers of Christ say, Jesus is my Savior. He died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. Yes, he did. But he also died on the cross to become your Lord, your master. And those happen at the same time. You cannot take one without the other. I can't just be saved and not be transformed. The goal is not to leave us where we are, but to change us more and more into the image and likeness of Jesus himself, to surrender ourselves. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-creasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The, the word in the Greek here for transformed is metamorpho, and, and many of you would guess that the English word we get from that is metamorphosis. It's what a butterfly goes through when it goes from a caterpillar to a butterfly. And that doesn't happen instantly, does it? It's not one second, a caterpillar, and the next second, it's flying off as a butterfly. There is a process involved that it goes through, but it goes from a, a, a yucky caterpillar Maybe you like caterpillars, I don't know. But it goes from that, which seems to be only concerned about eating for itself, to a beautiful butterfly that soars above it all, that experiences God's creation in incredible ways. And that's what I want for you. I mean, that's what I want for me. Not just you, me also. And that is what God desires for every one of us, to be transformed. God made you and me to soar, to be so much more, to do so much more. But, but we can't if we stay stuck in the me first mode. Because me first is going to always find a way to short circuit what God wants. It is. It's our natural sinful inclination. We have to get fed up with the way we're living. We've got to own up to God about it. And then we have to offer, offer up ourselves to him. For him to do what only he can do, transform us. Transformation is a process. But the starting point for the prodigal son was when he said, please take me. When he offered himself up to God for God's purposes, not his own. So that God could change him through the ongoing power of his spirit. Our theme verse you know, is, is Romans 12 too, but listen to what Paul says in the verse before it. He says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, to offer, not to take, but to offer. He says, this is your true and proper worship. If you come in today and it's all about, what am I going to get out of this? What am I going to learn? What am I, they sing the songs I like. It's not what the Bible says. Worship is assigning worth to another. So when I come in here, if I come in here, God, what are you going to say to me? God, I have come here today to join with my, my brothers and sisters in Christ to praise your name, to see you enthroned on our praises. Then something may very well happen. But you come in with the wrong expectations. Don't be disappointed if you don't get what you thought you would get. There is no transformation until we offer ourselves to God. He's not looking to make us more, more of a selfish person of who we are. He wants to transform us. Notice how the father responds when his son offers himself up. 
verses 20 and 22, he says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion, not anger or I told you so's. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest. As soon as he saw him coming, he didn't turn around and, and do a laundry list. All right, he's finally coming back. He's getting what he deserves. I'm going to do this to him because he hurt my feelings. He said this about me. Boom, 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 boom. He didn't do any of that. He ran, which was unseemly for a man in that culture to do. He ran to meet him where he was. And he didn't just meet him. He, he embraced him. He kissed him. He welcomed him home. He called for the best things that a son could have. And he does that. He wants that for you. The best things that sons and daughters of God can have. The moment we sincerely turn to God and we say to God, God, I am tired of living this way. I'm fed up. I'm, I'm tired of trying to do it my way. God will run to meet us where we are. Where we are. You, not where I think I ought to be. He doesn't ask me to clean myself up. He doesn't ask me, go take a shower first. I'm not going to touch you. You're nasty. He says, I love you, nasty and all. And in fact, I don't want you to try to do this on your own because then you will think you did it on your own and that's more self-serving. I want you to trust me. I want you to follow me. I want you to do it my way, even when it doesn't make total sense because you're not always smart enough to know everything I know. I'm God and I created it all. You haven't figured out all the formulas of science and math yet. You haven't seen everything there is to see in this universe, but I have because I made them. And I love you. And I'm going to throw my arms around you, and I'm going to love on you, and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to transform you. God, Guys, God doesn't hold a, gu- a grudge against us and the dumb stuff we've done. I mean, that's all of us. He, he doesn't hold it over our heads. When, when you and I get fed up and own up and offer up ourselves to him, he, he's He's not just watching. He is going to meet us there, wherever you may be, and begin the transforming work. That's why our memory verse is 2 Corinthians 5.17 for this week. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's the promise. Through Jesus Christ, God the Father transforms us by the power of his Spirit. I love this passage in 1 John 3. John writes, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. I love that word. It's not part of my vocabulary ordinarily. Lavish doesn't seem like a word I would ordinarily use. But when I think about the word lavished and what it says, it's, it's, it's like this overflowing abundance. It's more than I can imagine, more than I can deserve. It's like checking in, going to a La Quinta and somehow discovering I'm in a Hyatt Regency. Or better. The Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, now we're children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him for we shall see him as he is. God's God's love, God's grace transforms us increasingly into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ himself to take on his actions, his attitudes, his thoughts, to be renewed in his mind. In Philippians it says, 
that we are to have the mind of Christ. God created you for more, more than you or I even can fathom right now. We can't, we can't see it all yet. We really don't know, in fact, what we don't know. But those of us who follow Christ make the decision to trust him and what he's offering. What God's transformation will lead us to is more and better life than we've ever thought or imagined in our existence. It's not about what we have, what we want. It's about who God is and what he wants to give us and to give to us to give to others if we're willing. If we're willing to get fed up, own up, and offer up ourselves to God. Our transforming experience, I believe, is geared to helping you and me do that. It's not the end-all and the be-all, but for many of us, it's an important step in that journey. So if you haven't already, sign up for a group right after this service. Get your journal today if you haven't. Surrender yourself to him. Strive to be like him. In, in just a moment, our, our, as we sing, our prayer team is going to be down here, and you can certainly come and, and talk to them. But we're going to, in just a moment, we're going to reprise the, the chorus of Scandal of Grace. And, and I, I love those words. Oh, to be like you. And when we sing that in just a moment, we're just going to do a short chorus of it. When we sing it, maybe before they were just words to you. But maybe now, they can be the desire of your heart. They can be something you're saying to God. You're not just following along because the words are up there and the people are up here singing. But oh, to be like you. Heavenly Father, that is our prayer. For we have fallen short of your glory in, in this sin-filled world and, and confess that it's in us as well. The good news is, Father, your word says you're not satisfied with us staying there. You have more for us. But until we choose to join in, until we get fed up and we, and we own up and we offer up, nothing, nothing changes. I pray, Father, that many, many, many of us will do that today and work on that in these coming weeks. That we'll be intentional of, of reading devotionals every day, reading God's word, hearing you, listening to you, trusting you, and in, in folding our lives into yours that we start seeing the world through your eyes rather than the eyes of, of the television sets around us. We want to be like you. That's the journey we're on. That's the end goal. And we can't do it ourselves. Help us, Father. Oh, to be like you. We ask that. We pray that. We seek that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?